Welcome to the podcast of First Baptist Church in Wilson, Oklahoma, preaching the weekly teaching and preaching ministry of the church. We are grateful that you are choosing to join us today. Our prayer is that you are blessed by today's study of God's Word, and your heart will be receptive to what God desires to teach you today. For more information about FBC Wilson, please visit our website at fbcwilson.org. We hope you enjoyed today's service, and we look forward to studying God's Word with you today. to see each and every one of you here this morning. If you have a Bible with you, and I hope you do, if you would, join me in Mark chapter 3. Mark chapter 3 is where we're going to be at during our time together in the Word of God. Also, when you come in, there's always bulletins on the back tables that you are welcome to get, because on the back of that, there's always notes that will help guide our time through the Word this morning. So Mark chapter 3 is where we're going to begin in a few moments. I was talking to Mrs. Bailey as she came in this morning about children. And, you know, there's some things, there's some perks with being a father. And one of the perks that I was thinking about in light of this text is how often it is that we will see things differently. I think about it when you're driving down the road and that little child looks out the window and looks up in the sky and looks at the clouds and says, Oh, Daddy, do you see that figure? Do you see that object? And I look out the same window and I look at the same sky and I look at the same clouds and I don't see it. And when those children then get older, they have a way of seeing your parenting style and your parenting methods a little differently than what you see them. And then as they continue to get older, they start to see life differently than you see it. And it it becomes one of those things that even though you're seeing the same thing, you're seeing different things. You ever had that happen with adults? You have two adults that are looking at the same thing but are both seeing something different. I want to do a little experiment, if you would, if you would humor me this morning. If you would, close your eyes. Everybody close your eyes. I'm not going to tell anybody that's cheating, but if you would close your eyes, Mark is going to put a image up on the screen behind me. And what I want you to do, Evan, close your eyes. What I want you to do is I want you to close your eyes, and then when I say open them, I want you to open your eyes and just you don't have to yell it like bingo, but just but just say the first thing that you see. All right, so I'm going to count to three. You're going to open your eyes. I want us to all together say the first thing that you see, just say it out loud. Don't wait to see what the neighbor says. Just say it. All right, so one, two, three, go. Well, now I'm confused. Which is it? Some of you said a rabbit, and then some of you said a duck. Some of you can't figure out which one you're talking about. And some of you said, well, I thought it was a rabbit. Now I think it's a duck. Or I think it's a duck, but now I thought it was a rabbit. And some of you are going, no, there's only a rabbit there until your neighbor points out how they see a duck. I've shown this image before. This is a very classic image that highlights just how it is that you and I in this room can see the same thing, but can sometimes see things differently. You know, sometimes when it comes to the Word of God, you and I may be tempted to just think about the way we see it as the way that it is. And sometimes we fail to consider how God sees things. 
So here in the text before us, we're going to look at Mark chapter 3. We're going to spend 95% of our time in verses 1 through down through verse 6. We're going to, cap, we're going to touch on verse 7 through 12 before we're done this morning. But 1 through 6 is going to be where our, our main... Or, is where our main focus is going to be at. And as we come to this scene, you're going to have several different pieces at play. You're going to have one is what I call the setting. And the setting is going to be a church service. It's, an old, or it's a New Testament style church service. You see this there in verse 1 where it says, again, he entered the synagogue. It's talking about Jesus coming to the synagogue. That is their version of a church service. So that is the setting. The second thing we're going to see is the scene. What is going on inside the church service? We're going to see in a few moments that there is a a disabled man, a handicapped man that is there in the sanctuary. But what we're going to key in on and focus in on this morning is the plot. And the plot that's going to unfold is in a church service, a disabled man, and yet Jesus sees the room differently than the Pharisees see the room. They're both looking at the same picture, but they're seeing something different. Now this morning, I'm going to talk a lot about your, my, our heart. And when I'm talking about the heart, I am not talking about the physical organ that is beating right now inside of your chest. I'm going to talk about the heart in the term of your soul or your spirit or your attitude or the posture of your mind. I'm going to be talking about the heart in reflection to who, who it is and how we believe. Okay, The reason I'm using the word heart is because Jesus uses the word heart down there in verse 5. But we're going to talk about, when we talk about the heart, I'm talking about your spiritual condition, your spiritual state, the posture of your soul. And when we come to this passage here in a few moments, what we're going to see is you got Jesus on one side, you got the Pharisees on the other side. They're both seeing the same picture but seeing it differently. And my main argument this morning is when it comes to what Mark is trying to say to the church is we need to be on guard because none of us, none of us are immune to spiritual blindness. And as we come to this, hopefully you'll see with me how it is that the Pharisees had become spiritually blind and was not seeing the way the things or the things the way that God saw the things. So notice how he then lays this out. So I'm going to read verses 1 through 6 in its entirety. If you will follow along in your copy of God's Word as I read along aloud out of mine. And then we're going to come back and look at these different ways that we can become spiritually blinded today. It says in verse 1, again, he, this is Jesus Christ, again, he entered the synagogue. And a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, Come here. And he said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart. And he said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out immediately, held counsel with the Herodians against him, how to destroy him. 
Like I told you, the setting is a church service. Sunday morning church service. The scene is there's a disabled man that is there in the sanctuary. The plot is how Jesus saw the disabled man versus the way the Pharisees saw the, spirit, the, the disabled man. And as Mark is coming in, as he is reminding us and he's showing us different layers and different aspects about who Jesus is, he is highlighting this morning about the spiritual blindness that can come upon people when they stop seeing things the way that God sees things. So how does Mark then lay this out? Or maybe what are the ways that you and I can come to this passage and say, okay, so what do we need to guard against? The first thing that we need to guard against is that we watch with the wrong heart. How was it that they became or were becoming spiritually blind? Is it that they were watching with the wrong heart? Look back up at verse 1. Look what it says. I'm sorry, in verse 2. The man was there with the withered hand, but in verse 2 it says, And they watched Jesus. Now, you see that pronoun or that way of describing the crowd, the group of people that he is going to address. It's not just there in verse 2, but you also see it later in verse 2 when it says they might accuse him. Verse 4, he said to them, that at the end of verse 4, but they were silent. And then verse 5, and he looked around at them, at their hardness of their heart. Always, he's saying that there is always a group that is always watching you. What the Pharisees were doing is they were more concerned about watching Jesus than watching their own hearts. You see, you're going to find in the church, if you spend enough time in the church, you're going to find there's always the they's. There's always the them's. And especially in pastoral ministry, there's always the the individuals that will come up that always say, well, pastor, some of us have been talking. Or pastor, I've heard other people say Or pastor, we are concerned. There is always a group of people that are more concerned with you than themselves. Or in other words, is that there are people even in the church today that are better critics than counselors. What's the difference between a critic and a counselor? Well, a critic can tell you all the things that you're doing wrong and all the ways that you shouldn't do what you're doing. A counselor comes alongside and tries to encourage and tries to exhort and tries to help and tries to be a friend and a brother to you. So here in the text, there is this group of people. They are, they are described there in verse 2 as they. We know from down in verse 6 that it's the Pharisees. But as Mark is describing and he says, these are the people. They are watching Jesus more than they are watching their own hearts and sometimes you and I can come into church and we're not paying any attention to the condition of our own heart we're just conditioned worried about the condition of other people's hearts around us and it can be very easy for you and I to get so fixated in our minds that we become plank Christians remember that passage you're worried more about the speck in your brother's eye than the plank in your own so we got to be careful. we got to be careful that we don't watch with the wrong heart. We don't come to this idea of church or the people around us, and we have this idea that we are going to come and we are going to be critical instead of teachable. And one of the things that Mark shows us here in this passage is they were watching with the wrong heart. They were gathered, and what were they gathered to, there to do? Not to minister to the man, but they were there to try to trap Jesus. They are always better critics and counselors. And another thing that Mark shows us is it's often that they are looking backward. Look there in the text, verse 2. 
It says they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath. Now, why is Mark put that there? And why is that so significant for us this morning? It's because they already knew what they thought that he should do. They already had a mindset and then said, okay, Moses had told us in the book of Deuteronomy. Moses had already told us and God had already told us in Exodus. And all these things that we knew that what you were allowed to do and what you weren't allowed to do on the Sabbath. And so they already had all these rules and all these regulations of all the things that you could do and all the things that you couldn't do. And they had already determined in their mind that what Jesus was going to do was something that he shouldn't do. And they were looking for a way to be able to disprove that he is who he said he was. Let me put it to you like this. A couple weeks ago, Chamber of Commerce hosted the trunk retreat downtown and some lettering got put on a window. And it talked about a fortune-telling shop. And that caused kind of a stir here in Wellston because there were people that drove by and saw that lettering and said, Oh, my gracious, we're going to have a fortune teller move into downtown Wellston. And there was, there was a little bit of a stir, wasn't there, Harold? There was a little bit of a stir about what was going to happen with this fortune teller and how was this fortune teller going to come about. At the end of the day, it was just a matter of they put it there for the evening, for the activities, but it wasn't something legitimate, right? Do you ever stop and think about how many fortune telling Christians we have in the church today? How many of us walk into these rooms, we walk into this building, and we assume because we know what happened yesterday, and we assume because we've seen it before, we assume that we know what's going to happen next. So we come into the place, and we come into the room, and we start to think, well, I already know how this, that's not going to work, that person's not going to stick around, that decisions for Jesus isn't legitimate, that's not going to last, that ministry's going to fail, and we come in, and we're like, we're fortune-telling Christians, always saying, what won't work. Why? Because we're watching with the wrong heart. They're sitting there in the synagogue. They're sitting there in the room. They're sitting there on a Sunday morning. <clears throat> yes, Moses had given rules and commandments about how to obey and honor the Sabbath. Yes, God had told them in the book of Exodus how they were to obey and honor the Sabbath. But you know, none of those rules had anything to do with Jesus Christ coming in the flesh and healing a man. And yet, you have this group of people that are there in the room and they were becoming spiritually blind because they were watching with the wrong heart. They were watching with a critical heart. They were watching with a judgmental heart. They were watching... Not with the eyes of Jesus. So Mark says, listen to what they're doing. They're watching Jesus in verse 2 to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath or not. Why? So that they may accuse him. And so Mark says, be careful. Be careful about becoming spiritually blinded by watching with the wrong heart. There's another thing that he goes on to describe there in verse 4. And that is when we listen with a closed heart be detrimental when we watch with the wrong heart, and it can be detrimental when we listen with a closed heart. So Jesus is sitting there. There's nothing that catches Jesus by surprise. He's not ignorant of the scenario. He's not dumb. He already knows what's going to happen. And so you have this scene, the Sunday morning sanctuary. You got this group. I, well, I shouldn't say over there because they think I'm picking on them. You have this group over here that are sitting there watching to see what Jesus is going to do over here about this guy that's right here. Jesus knows everything that's going on. And so what does Jesus do? Jesus 
in my terminology, he just hits it straight in the mouth. So in verse 3, what does he do? And he said to the man with the withered hand, come here. I think it's fascinating that he says five words to the man and he says 19 words to them. Verse 3, and he said to the man with the withered hand, come here. And then he said to them. So this, he turns back to that crowd and he asks them a question. Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? No, so he asks them a question. He looks at them. He knows what them are thinking. He knows what them are waiting for. He knows why them are there. And so he looks at them and says... What's the right thing to do? No, 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 don't just stop right there. Maybe spend a little more time with this. Think to yourself, what is the question? What is Jesus really asking? He says there, you may say, well, Spence, he says there in verse 4, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or do harm? That's what Jesus is asking. Oh, no, 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 no. Jesus already knows that answer. And Jesus already knows that they know the answer. That's not the question. The question is not, is it legal? Not, is it can? Jesus is not asking the question of saying, well, what does the law say? They all know what the law says. Jesus is asking him, what do you think? And this is big. This is big because we don't, we don't fully grasp just how powerful what we think influences and dictates what we do. But Jesus is asking, what do you think? You know what the law says, but then yet you have this man, this disabled man, this handicapped man, he's right here. So what is it? Is it wrong or is it okay? He is asking them, what do you think? And what do they do at the end of verse 4? But they were silent. Jesus is looking at him and going, listen, what do you think? Is this okay to do or is this not okay to do? And they didn't say a word. You know, there's times in our lives that we say more with our silence than we do with our mouths. You husbands know how this works. Your wife comes out of the closet and she asks you about a certain garment she's wearing. And there's not a right answer. There is not a single answer that will get you out of trouble when you come out. And she says something, if you are silent, you're wrong. If you say, oh honey, that is great, then you are lying. <laughs> and if you say, I've seen better clothes on you, then you're being hateful and rude. But you know how often that silence has words to it. So what do they do here in the text? He asks them the question. He says, is it lawful on the Sabbath, etc., etc., etc.? And what do they do? They keep quiet. What Jesus is doing, he's asking them, what do you think? See, they came to the table. They, they came to the room with a whole slate of preconceptions. They came to the room with an idea that, okay, so if you can't work on the Sabbath... <clears throat> then what you can you do? 
Hey, and how are we going to classify this idea of healing? How are we going to classify this idea of miracle works? Well, in order to do a work of miracle, you have to do work. And work is not allowed on the Sabbath. So they had this preconception in their mind, already predetermined, a, a presupposition, if you will. They came into the room, and they already had made up their mind what was right or wrong before they ever got in the room. Preconceptions led to a misconception because when they came in, they had already determined how they felt, what they thought, and everything about it. And so it didn't matter what Jesus said. It didn't matter what Jesus did. They had already determined before they even got to the place what they thought. Did you ever find yourself in that situation? Would you find yourselves and what you're thinking be more dictated by the past instead of the present? Or being more dictated upon your experience instead of truth? You see, so many times we let our feelings determine what is true. And over and over again through the Bible, the Bible reminds us that feelings do not determine what is true true. I know that your emotions are there and your emotions are very real. Your feelings are there and your feelings are very real. But in the grand scheme of things, what you think should be more influenced and directed by what is true than how you feel. And we're living in a day and age where people are more directed in what they think by how they feel than what is true. This weekend's Veterans Day and Brought back some memories. I was talking to some other people just the last couple of days ago, and there's a there's a evolution in the training and basic training that we had to go through back in the, the late 90s. And part of us was you had to go through the, the gas chamber. Now, I don't know how it is everywhere else. I can just tell you what it was like in 1999 in Fort Leonard Wood, Missouri. But they get you all there, and they have the gas chamber. Now, in the gas chamber, it's not anything that's going to kill you. It's just tear gas. CS gas is the proper name for it. Pepper spray is, an, is another variation of it. But the idea is you actually have a chemical mask, a gas mask, and you've been trained on how to put it on. You've been trained on how to use it, how to operate it, and how it can potentially save your life in a, in, in a military conflict. And so what this is meant to do, it is meant to teach you that this thing works, and you can trust it. So you get lined up, and they bring in group after group after group. And so there's this big center block, center block building, and so you're lined up out there, and they open the door, and the gas kind of billows out the door, and you got your mask on, and they march you into the room, and you're kind of like, I think there was like 10 of us all lined up in a line, and the CS gas is going around, and we all got our mask on. We're looking around. You can breathe just fine. You can breathe just normal. No big deal. And then the person in charge of the room says, okay, now here's what we're going to do. You're going to take a breath. You're going to close your eyes. And you're going to lift the mask up. Now, when you lift the mask up, what happens? All the clean air goes out and all the dirty air comes in, right? So they say, take a big breath, close your eyes, and lift the mask up, releasing all the good air, letting all the bad air in. And then when we say you can put your mask back down, the idea is that you exhale and you blow all the dirty air out and then you can start breathing again breathing the normal air coming through the filter does that make sense? so that's the idea, that's the concept Okay, so you're sitting there and they say okay, take a deep breath close your eyes, lift up your mask now when that happens 
the CS chemical then comes to the skin. And all the moisture and the perspiration on your skin it starts to burn like alcohol. And you start to hear people that had not kept their eyes closed because they wanted to see what was going on like some of you earlier. <laughs> they have their eyes open. When that CS gas hits their eyes, it makes their eyes start watering. And they immediately start having a physical reaction. And the way the physical reaction works is all your sinuses just go bleh. Your eyes start burning, your eyes start watering, your nose just empties, you start coughing, saliva, and all the good stuff that makes for just good war stories. So as soon as you have that up, your skin starts burning, you start hearing people around you start coughing, and they start, and you're sitting there waiting for, the, waiting for the command to put the mask back down. And while you're in that moment, all of your physical senses say, put the mask down and get out of the room. But the truth of the matter is, I wasn't ever in danger. You see, my feelings and my emotions might be telling me panic and run. But truth was telling me that if I would just follow the commands, I would be okay. You may say, well, Spence, what does it have to do with us? Well, there's a lot of times that we get in life and we get in a moment that all of our sensations and all of our feelings and all of our emotions are saying, run, get out of the way, fix it yourself, move. And we have all these different reactions that come from our emotions and our, and our, and our feelings. And yet, when we come to God's word, we see this is true. And our thoughts should be more influenced by truth than influenced by our feelings. But if all we're ever doing is listening with a closed heart, then we're never going to listen to what is true. We're never going to listen to what God is telling us. We're never going to listen to what He is trying to say to us through His Word. And so there's a danger there. There's a danger there when we listen with the wrong heart, there's, or there, when we watch with the wrong heart. There's a danger there when we listen with a closed heart. But then look at verse 5. There's also a danger when we respond with a hard heart. And he, Jesus, looked around at them with anger, grieved at the hardness of their heart. And he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And you would think if you're reading through the story, you would think that if you're sitting in this scenario and you're sitting in there in that scene, there's a man with a disability, there's a man there with a handicap. Jesus comes in, Jesus sees him, and he heals him. It wasn't like he went out and chopped a rick of wood. It wasn't like he went out and butchered an animal. It wasn't like he went out there and drew water and walked five miles with water. It wasn't that he got in there and, and, and fixed a big meal. He just simply looked at the man and said, stretch out your hand. And instead of everybody being excited in the room and going, hallelujah, look, only person that could do this is God in the flesh. And instead of everybody getting excited and everybody being ecstatic and everybody saying, this is the Christ what do they do? It says in verse 6, the Pharisees went out immediately, held the council, how to destroy him. See, one response could be that of excitement. One response could be that of awe and wonder. Why was that not the response here? I submit to you this morning, it's because they saw 
not a person, but they saw a problem. And what Jesus was trying to remind them is, it is a person, it is not a problem. If you look up in verse 5, it says, he said to the man. He said to the man, Jesus is making sure that you understand that what was going on here, it wasn't about some supernatural trick. It wasn't about trying to do some uh, magic hocus pocus with the law of God. This is people with problems needing help. And I'm not saying you, I'm saying as much me as maybe anybody else in this place. But oh, how easy it is for you and I to start seeing problems and stop seeing people. You and I start to see the situation and the circumstances. You and I start to see the negative. You and I start to see all the hindrances. You and I start to see all of what I call the opportunities to improve. You and I start to see all of the negative and we stop seeing people. Jesus saw that there was a man with a disability. There was a man looking for hope. There was a man needing help. There was a man needing to be restored. And Jesus says, I'm going to focus on the person and I'm not going to focus on the problem. The Pharisees are sitting in the room and their attitude was, is we don't care about him. We're just worried about our system. We don't care about his needs. We just care about our wants. We don't care about what he has going on in his life. All we care about is keeping the status quo and they responded with a hard heart I think it's interesting there at the last part of verse 5 it says he stretched out his hand and his hand was restored what a beautiful picture of the goal and the aim of the New Testament church today the goal and the aim of this New Testament church here in Wellston is not to Bring in a bunch of people that look like us, talk like us, and act like us. The goal is not for us to see people come and to say the right things and to know when to stand up and to know when to sit down. The goal is not to see people come in and just be able to regurgitate a lot of information or a lot of head knowledge of who God is. The goal of the church, the goal of the kingdom of God is to see sinners restored in right relationship to their Savior. And so it's more about restoration than it is about regurgitation. But what do they do? What do they do here in the text, in the story? They went out immediately. They got mad. Jesus didn't do what they thought he should have done. Jesus didn't do what he, they thought he was right for him to do. Jesus didn't do what they wanted. And so what they do? They got mad. And I put there in your notes that so many times we go and we grumble instead of waiting and worshiping. been a member of a church longer than I've served in ministry at a church. And I've heard the whispers. And I've heard the naysayers. And I've heard the critics. And I've heard the peanut gallery constantly chitter and chatter. Because what was going on is not what they predicted, not the way they would have done it, or not the way that they think it should happen. And what they end up doing is they end up leaving and they end up grumbling and rah, 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 rah. they go home and have the and they have the, supper, the the preacher for lunch or they or, or they leave out and they go to the restaurant and they have the preacher for the appetizer. They go out and they have all these things and they don't stop to think about hey, what is God doing? What does God see happening? 
here. So you get down to verse 7. <clears throat> Jesus heals the man, restores him. His hand is stretched out. He is restored in physical sense. Then the Pharisees go out, and then notice what it says in verse 7 down through 11. It says, Jesus withdrew with the disciples of the sea, and a great crowd followed from Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem and Idumea. And from beyond the Jordan, from around Tyre and Sidon, when the great crowd heard all that he was doing, they came to him. And he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him. For he had healed many, so that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. And whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. And he strictly ordered them not to make him known. Now what is going on here? Well, as Jesus does that, and as word starts to spread out about who Jesus is, everybody gets excited and everybody starts coming to him. Why? Because they know who he is. Well, not everybody. You see, there's a crowd up there in verse 6. But they're missing out on what God is doing through Jesus. Because they're held over to the side, spiritually blinded, not watching, not waiting, and not worshiping. And church, I want us to see this morning as they missed seeing the work of God because they were blinded. And because of their own condition, of their own heart, it led them to be distant from the work that God was doing. And oh, may we be on guard as a church that we don't let that spiritual blindness impact or infect us. So what do we do about it? Three takeaways I put there in the bottom of your notes and we're done. How it is that we guard and how it is that we take stock in our own personal lives and how it is that we take inventory on a regular basis to ask ourselves the question, is my heart where it should be. First reality that I think we need to be aware of is that our words reflect our heart. Our words reflect our heart. So it's a matter of the things that we say. It's the idea that what comes out of the well, it comes out in the bucket. It's the idea that the way we say things and how we say things really is a reflection of the condition of our heart. And if we go around and all it is is negative Nancy all day long, Shame on us. We have so many things to be positive about. We have so many things to be excited about. Oh, I understand. I understand the temperature may not be what you want it to be. I understand the preacher may have talked longer than you'd wanted to hear him talk. I understand somebody may have taken your seat. I understand... There was a distraction. I understand there is something around you. I understand all of these things. But praise the Lord, what is it that we're here for? Are you here for a seat and a temperature? Or are you here to worship God? And what an amazing thing it is in the day and age in which we're in. If you look around, around the churches nationwide, they're all in a nosedive. They're all taking a ride off of the big roller coaster down in Six Flags. They're all in decline. And yet you look around a room like this and we see so many people. And some of you will remark, from Sunday to Sunday and Sunday, there's always different faces. And you never can keep up with all the different faces that are coming through the door. You not knowing everybody's name is not a problem. 
It's a blessing. But we will use words. And when we use these words, they reflect our heart. Listen to yourself. You say, well, Spence, I don't, how, how am I supposed to listen to myself? Oh, I can tell you to listen to yourself. You pull out a voice, mem- voice memo deal on your phone and you just walk around and listen to yourself and then you can hear what you're saying and listen to the things that you say. Are you positive? Are you encouraging? Are you a counselor? Or are you a critic? The second takeaway that we get out of this text is that our actions follow our heart. Our actions follow our heart. If you say, oh, I love Jesus. Yes, I do. I love Jesus. How about you? And then you can't wait to leave? Or you don't have time to serve? Or how dare I meddle? Or how dare we ask you to be here for more than one hour a week? If the idea is, oh, I love Jesus, I love him with everything I have, I just love him between 10 and noon on Sunday mornings. Our actions follow our hearts. We were with a sweet couple, and there was other couples from this church Friday night over in Chandler at the theater. And in the playbill, the director was explaining that for the last five weeks, they as a cast and they as a production team, for the last five weeks, with only one or two exceptions, met Every night for multiple hours, every night, practicing, preparing, and rehearsing the play. Which means that if you take five weeks, that's 35 days, you knock off the two or three days that they may have missed. So 33 days in that five-week span, and you have these individuals up there every single night, giving other time, giving other service, giving of their resources to be able to put on a theatrical performance. And yet, we got a lot of Christians that say they're Christians. They're not willing to serve their Savior. The last one, our worship begins in our heart. Our worship begins in our heart. Worship's not a matter of the style of music. Worship's not a matter of the kind of song it is. Uh, Worship is something that is an overflow of what is in here. Worship is something that starts here. And if this is dark and dirty and hard and cold, then it doesn't matter what comes out of here. And if this is bright and clean and close and revived and fresh and growing and healthy, then it will come out of here. Worship begins in our hearts. So, now we're to you. And now the question on the table is, is what is your heart like? What is the condition of your heart this morning? And I'm not asking what you see. I'm not asking about what others see. I'm asking this morning, what does God see? You see, at the end of the day, that image that I put that Mark put on the screen at the very beginning, it really doesn't matter whether you saw a rabbit or you saw a duck. The only thing that matters is when God looks at it, what does God see? 
Now, I think, personally, in my sanctified imagination, God saw a rabbit first. That's my personal opinion. But I can't prove that. But it's one of those things that when we come down to it, the question is, is it's not a matter of what you see or what others see. It matters what God sees. So here is my question for you this morning. If God was to speak to you in these next few moments, what would he say he sees in your heart? Bow your heads with me. Thank you for joining us today at FBC Wellston. We would love to hear from you or connect with you. If you will visit our website at fbcwellston.org. Please let us know if we can serve you in any way, and we look forward to connecting with you in the future.